I'm gonna name a couple of things and see if they bring a little something to memory. Dairy Queen, Culver's, Briars, Edie's, Bluebell, Cold Stone, Creamery. You know, here's the deal, okay? We work harder Hops. than anybody out there. Guaranteed ben for your pleasure Gary's. to have a bite of ice cream. We scream, you scream, we all, you know the saying. We work hard for you. I'd like a little appreciation. Maybe a day set aside where we celebrate us. Us, us, right there. Don't let me hang it. So here's the deal, instead of taking care of your horses and brushing them every day, why don't you have a day where you come out and brush us and groom us and be with us. There's some spots I can't reach. There's needs I have that sometimes never get filled. That's just not right, is it? That's just not right. Well, it's good to see you today. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. If you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, I'm going to get there in just a minute. We're in uh, the third week of this series called Cow Tipping, where we're dealing with issues that we don't talk all the time about in church. And I want to invite you back next weekend. Next weekend, we're kind of doing a kind of like a, what we're talking about, gray matters, kind of a Q&A. So I'm going to talk about gambling. I'm going to talk about a plastic surgery. I'm going to talk about lot, you know, the lottery. We're going to talk about uh, alcohol. We're just, it's just going to be, it's going to be a pretty short. But we're just going to hit it. Boom, 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 boom. Because I have people ask me all the time, "What about this? And what about that? And you know, if I won the lottery, would you take my money? Yes, uh, no, whatever, right? But so we're going to talk about that. So come back next week and as we wrap this series up. But today we're talking about if God is a good God, then why would He send somebody to hell? Why was hell created? What's hell all about? Is Jesus Christ really the only way? Is there really no other way? If someone was born into a family and they never heard of Jesus Christ and were never introduced to Jesus Christ and they died without ever hearing, would they go to heaven or would they go to hell? And, um, and, and, and what happens to those people that never hear about Jesus? Where do they go? What, what happens? So we're going to talk about that today. Um, because this issue isn't a new issue. This problem, that's, if you don't get anything else from today, these questions, I think, that are posed in the 21st century, sometimes we have the thinking that, well, this is something new. You know, and I've heard people say, oh, it's getting perilous times. And, things are, and I get that. But I'm just telling you, these questions are not new questions. And uh, I'm going to show you some of that today. If you look at Acts chapter 4, I'm going to actually read verses 1 through 20. Then we're going to come back and unpack it. But Acts chapter 4, you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen for you. But the Bible says this, that the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Verse 3, so they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so that the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So it's interesting to understand about that. If you have about 5,000 men plus women plus children, there's close to 20,000 believers. And the New Testament church is just, just started. Um, 
Verse 5, so the next day the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem, and Annas, uh, or uh, the high priest, was there. And so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest's family. And they had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them. By what power or name do you do this? Then Peter, filled, the, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, Speaking of the, the man who in chapter 3 of Acts was just lame, of, of, uh, uh, was a lame man that was healed. And we're being asked how he was healed. Then know this, that you and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead. For this man stands before you healed. Then Jesus is the stone that you builders rejected. He's quoting Old Testament, the Messianic prophecies of the Old Testament, which has become the cornerstone. Verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which he must be saved. Understand, the religious leaders he's speaking to do not believe in Jesus. They believe he's a false prophet, he's a blasphemer. They killed him. These are the same guys that put him on the cross. Verse 13. And when they, speaking of the religious leaders of the day, saw the courage of Peter and John... Two disciples, and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Verse 14, so since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with him, there was nothing they could say. And verse 15, so when they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, they conferred together, and here's what they said, verse 16, what are we going to do with these men? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they performed a notable sign and that we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer in this name. Notice they don't even use the name of Jesus. They don't even refer to it. At verse 18. And then they called them together again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is, it right, which is right in the eyes of God, to listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges. He's speaking of Jesus. To listen to you or to listen to Jesus. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Now, what I want to say is, is, that, is, is that in this passage, just in this account, what's happened prior to this is in Acts chapter 1, Jesus Christ has been ascended to the right hand of the Father. It's, it's the ascension. Jesus has come, he's lived the sinless life, he's down the cross for the sins of humanity, he's been in the grave for three days. It's kind of like the great combination shot and pool. He called his shot and sunk the eight ball in the corner pocket. He rose again just like he told the guys he was going to do. And he ascends to the right hand of the Father. And then he tells the disciples in, in Acts chapter 1, I want you to go and I want you to begin to pray. And the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to be the comforter, the paraclete, which is the Greek word, which means for one who walks alongside, he's going to be with you and going to lead you and guide you. He's always going to point you to me. He's going to be your connection. And so they go and they do just that. It's about a six weeks period of time between the ascension and then the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 they were all in one place and in one accord and then there came from the heaven the sound of a rushing mighty wind and tongues set upon or fire as of tongues set upon each one of them and they began to speak in this new heavenly language. They began to speak in tongues and the Spirit of the Lord gave them the utterance. And then, that's Acts chapter 2, and then Peter begins to stand up because they think these guys are drunk and because it, it's 9 a.m. in the morning and they hear this going on. And they go, we're not drunk, as you would suppose, 
but we've been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And Peter preaches this message, this same guy who ran from a, from a girl, basically, just weeks before when Jesus was crucified, when she said, you're one of the disciples, and he cursed her, cursed the situation, and ran. Now he's standing in the center of Jerusalem, the exact same place that had happened before where Jesus is crucified. And he stands up, and he defends the faith, he defends the gospel, he gives basically an altar call, and the Bible says that 3,000 people are saved. That's Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 3 Peter and John are just doing their business because what's happening is the church is growing at rapid, rapid numbers. And they're going on their way to the temple. And on their way to the temple, they encounter this lame man who's sitting outside the temple. He's a beggar just asking for, asking for, for anything they'd give him, for money. And here's the reality. The, the, the lame man, because of his, 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 um, his uh, physical condition, is not allowed, according to the law, to go into the temple. If you weren't perfect, you couldn't go into church. Sound familiar? Okay, so they wouldn't let him in. Well, what happens is, is, is Peter looks at him and says, the infamous phrase, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have given unto you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, why is it walk? Boom! The Bible says immediately he stood. Immediately this lame man was divinely healed right there on the church steps. And he gets up, and the Bible says he doesn't stay on the outer courts. He begins to go to the sanctuary. You know why? First time he's been able to do that. And he comes up in the middle of all of these church folk. They're all dressed up, looking good, got the Sunday morning vest. Oh, you know, holier than thou. Good morning, brother. How are you, brother? Good to see you today, brother. It's a wonderful day in the house of the Lord. <laughs> and here comes this beggar who's never been allowed in. And they're like, what's going on with him? You know who he is. He's the guy that's been begging there for ever since we were kids. We were kids, he was begging there. We, we've grown up, they've seen that guy begging there. He's been begging there for years, begging there for years. And all of a sudden, he's running around. What's happened? So they begin to ask. And this guy tells them exactly what happened. Man, Peter and John, the disciples that were with Jesus, all the commotion a couple of days ago with this whole Holy Spirit thing, they came up. Boom, wham, bam, I am on, I'm, I'm, my legs are restored, I'm walking around there. And then we get into chapter 4. And all the religious leaders go, whoa, 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 whoa. And that what religious leaders do, oh, i, I got to be able to put, a little, put this into a box and put a bow on it. Because we like to be able to make sure we can manage everything. And then they stand, and these guys have these objections. And their objections, it's religious leaders of the day, they don't believe in Jesus. They think Jesus is, a, is a, maybe a good man at best, definitely a, a rogue ra rabbi who's a blasphemer. And they began to try to tear apart their religion. They began to tear apart their, their, their faith in Jesus Christ. But Peter and John, being filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, with this power of God, being touched by God, began to speak the words of God. Not because they were educated, not because they were smooth talkers, not because they knew what to say, but because of the power of God that was on their life. And the same objections that these guys had in Acts chapter 4 at the very beginning of the church are the same objections that I hear today. And I just want to kind of walk through some of these cultural objections to Jesus being the only way. You say, well, people have an issue. Well, let me help you because I'm going to kind of arm you. This is a little bit of apologetics 101. But maybe you're here today and you're not a Christ follower. Maybe this will help you in your journey. I'm not trying to shoot at anybody. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to, I'm just one beggar to another beggar where to find food. The first objection, and we hear it in this passage, uh, and I'll show you in just a second, but that, that this idea that Jesus is the only way is archaic. We hear that it's archaic. It's just, it's passe. 
Uh, we've heard um, uh, thinkers of our time and intellectuals, quote-unquote, of our time say, you know, that was something that they were okay with in the first century. But we have evolved. We are an educated society. We've grown since then. And so to say that Jesus is the only way in this multi-theistic world in which we live in holds no real water. And only narrow-minded, intolerant, bigot people who need a crutch to get through society would say that. And if you're a college freshman, you've heard that once, you've heard it a million times. Well, I'm just here to tell you that that's not a new argument. Let me show it to you. Look at verse number 16 and verse 17. It's actually the motive for these guys in this. He said, what are we going to do with these men? These are the religious leaders that don't believe in Jesus. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they performed this notable sign. They've healed this thing, this guy healed. And we can't deny it because he's walking around telling everybody about it. So to stop this thing from spreading any further, because they don't want it to get out because it, it could mess them up, we must warn them not to speak any longer to anyone in this name. So here's the idea. What they've done is they've come up and, 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 and they're talking about Jesus and they're, and they're praying in the name of Jesus and they're, they're talking about this resurrected Jesus and, and we try to do away with them and we thought when we nailed him on the cross and we put him in the tomb that it would be over with. But no, these guys are more radical, they're more in, enraged, they're, 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 they're more passionate than they've ever been before. And now we're seeing thousands of people leaving the synagogue and going to follow Jesus. We're seeing thousands of people basically buying what these guys are selling. And we didn't like when Jesus was selling it. These guys, now we've got 12 of these guys, and they've turned into 3,000, and now they just turned into 5,000 yesterday. What are we going to do? That's just the men. No, no disrespect, ladies, but that's how they counted in that day. And so you're talking 20,000 people. And just so you know, there was only 20,000 people that lived in Jerusalem proper at that time, not include the suburbs, right? So that's kind of what the deal was. And, and, but in first century Rome, which is where these guys would have been under, the Roman government was a very multi-theistic government. I mean, you read anything about Western civilization, you'll find out that they believed in many gods, and they were okay with you having any god you wanted to have. Matter of fact, Rome said, we won't declare that there is a god, but you can believe in whatever god you want to believe in. The only thing you cannot do is say that your god is superior to another god. I mean, they built the Pantheon, which is basically an ode to all the gods that they believed in. But that's what caused the problem. Remember the Roman government nailed a sign above the cross where Jesus hung, King of the Jews. <laughs> they were okay with him being the King of the Jews. But when the disciples started saying, he's the King of Kings, he's the Lord of Lords, he's Alpha and Omega, which is Greek for beginning and end, the first and last, that which was, is to come, forevermore shall be, that's when it got messy. And in the first century, these guys are saying, whoa, 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 whoa. We, we, we know we live in a multi-theistic world, but what we're concerned about is that when they're proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the only way, it could be the end of what we believe. It could be the end of our teaching. It could be the end of who we are. So we're threatened by that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to try to censor them. We're going to try to push them down. We're going to try to speak lies about them. We're going to try to undermine them. We're going to try to make them look like closed-minded, narrow-minded. Does that sound familiar at all? Intolerant people. That was 2,000 years ago. The church is six weeks old at the time. Fast forward 2,000 years, the 21st century. It sounds like anything that you would hear from any liberal individual spouting off against Christianity today. How do we stop these people? So for people to say it's archaic, 
to have a mindset that Jesus Christ is the only way? No, no, no. They had a problem with it when it first came out. <laughs> when it first hit the press, there was an issue. There's been an issue every time. Why? Because there's something about the name of Jesus. You can pray in the name of God. You can say Muhammad. You can say Krishna. You can say Buddha. You can say anything. But when you say Jesus, there's an edge to it. I mean, even people that are far away from God. They don't swear in the name of Muhammad. Mm, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. They don't say, oh, Buddha, come on, right? They swear. Why? It's the, it's, it's, it's the biggest, most powerful name that they can conjure up. Same problem in the first century, same problem in the 21st century. And if God should tarry his coming, it would be the same problem in the 31st century. Second argument that you hear is that uh, it's arrogant to say that Jesus Christ is the only way. It's just arrogant for Christians to say that Jesus Christ is the only way. It's arrogant for anybody to proclaim it. Well, that's what they did here. Let's look at this. Verse 10, verse 11, the beginning part of verse 12 and verse 13, it reads like this. These are the disciples. Know this, that you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So they name him by his first name. They call him Christ, and they give his origin. Whom you crucified... Man, he goes at him, right? Whom God raised from the dead. It's kind of like those one. That's an MC Hammer, can't touch this moment. And that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. So he's using Old Testament messianic prophecy in order to kind of turn it on them. Verse 12, for salvation is found in no one else. Look at verse 13. And when they saw, this is the religious leaders, the haters, the people that were drinking the haterade, when they saw the courage of Peter and of John, that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. The disciples are saying, look, man, we're not being arrogant. We're not educated. We're not trying to be smooth. We're not trying to be slick. We're not trying to play some academic role here. We're just telling you. We're not arrogant. We're just convinced. And we're convinced because we saw you kill Jesus Christ. We saw you kill him on a cross. We saw you allow the Roman government to beat him to death. We saw you put him on that cross and we were the ones that took his bloody body off of that cross and put it in the tomb that was borrowed from Joseph of Arimathea. And we put it in there and we were the ones that showed up on the third day when we found that the, that the stone that was humanly impossible for us to roll away was rolled away, that the signet seal of the Roman government was broken, which was big time trouble. And then we were the ones who saw him and talked with him. We were the ones that were the other 120 on the day of ascension where he ascended to the right hand of the Father. We're not arrogant. We're just convinced. Now, I'm going to tell you, you can argue with a lot of things you want to argue with in life, but you can't argue about my story. Because I saw my thing happen the way I saw my thing happen. You might not have been there, but I was there. That's what they're saying. See, it's not arrogant for me to say, this is what I believe. It's what I believe. It's not arrogant for me to say, you're the guys that killed him. You're the guys that put him on the cross. You're the guys that did this. But this man that's walking, he's not walking in my power. That's never happened in my life before. But he's walking in the power of Jesus, the one that you crucified, the one that you put in the grave, and the one that we saw. We're not arrogant. We're not educated. We're not trying to spin this. We're not trying to take your job. We're just one beggar to another beggar where to find food because we know where the food is. 
And the thing that kind of parlays under, under that is that when people go, well, it's arrogant too because religion really is a preference. Isn't it a personal preference? I mean, everybody should have their own personal preference and we shouldn't trot up on anybody's personal preferences. And that's kind of what they're saying. Listen, it's okay that you don't believe it. Just don't talk to anybody else about it. Again, this is, this is in first century, right? B, uh, A.D. So they're saying, and, 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 and the disciples say, no, 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 you don't understand. It wasn't by preference that he was raised from the grave. It was by the power of God. It's not by preference that we chose to believe this. We just saw it. And we kind of believe that whoever kind of calls their shot, Jesus Christ, he dies on the cross, he raises again in, thir- in three days, and he's walking around. Anybody that can do that, he's God. It's not preference, it's just power. We're not arrogant, we're just convinced. And the lame man that's standing in front of you today that's never walked before, it's not preference that, that, that restored the strength of his limbs. It's the power of God. It's not preference that 20,000 people are now following Jesus within six weeks of his ascension. It is the power of God. And we're just telling you, we're not learned, we don't know everything, we're not schooled and educated, we're not refined in our speech, we are not arrogant, we are just convinced. It is not about preference, it's simply about power. And isn't that true? Because you talk to people. You can talk about Jesus all day long. You can read the Bible. You can study it. You can have a degree in it. Who cares? But when Jesus Christ walks into that hospital room and restores you, case over. Enough said. I'm going with him. When Jesus Christ restores your marriage and nobody else can, I'm done. I'm going with him. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. That's where I'm at, baby. Right? When Jesus Christ shows up and heals your sick child, case over. That's where I'm following it. When Jesus Christ shows up and he gives you peace that passes understanding and joy that gets you through the night, that's where I'm at. Look, we're not all sitting in this room because we feel obligated or loyal to. I mean, this is the 21st century for crying out loud. We're all here for one simple reason. We are not arrogant. We are convinced. We are not proud or preferential. It's been the power of God that raised Christ from the dead that courses through our lives, that it is by grace of God that we're saved, and that not of ourselves is a gift of God lest any one of us would boast. And we understand the power of God, and we give our lives and surrender our lives to that. So anytime people go, well, religion is preferential. No, it's all about power, baby. It's been that way in the Old Testament. And I'm telling you, you bring any shaman, you bring any witch doctor, you bring anybody you want to bring, I'll meet them in the parking lot and we'll see who's got the power. Because it's not about me, it's about him, right? Isn't that what what Elisha did in the Old Testament? So you think your God is all that? I tell you what, take the altar and douse it with water, put a ditch around it and fill it with water, and I will pray one prayer and God will pour down fire from heaven and open it up. See, the problem is, is that sometimes we think that the devil is so big and so bad and so evil and our God is so small. That's why we, we just kind of, oh, we got to get away from the world because the world's powerful. Oh, we can't get close to the world, Pastor. We got to get this powerful. Just, just suck us in there just like a vacuum. We're gone. And, no. The power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, dwells in me. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I can do all things, Philippians says, through Christ who strengthens me. And, and the reality is it's not about preference. It's not about education. It's not about right connections. It's all about the power of Jesus Christ. And they have this lame man who's walking and they go, this is our object lesson for the day. The other thing you hear is it's unfair 
that Jesus Christ is the only way. Because that means that if you don't accept him, you're going to go to hell. Let's talk about that for a minute. Verse 12, just you don't think I'm making up words. These men say this, Peter and John. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus said of himself in John 14 or John 16, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through the Son. I'm it. This is it. And people go, is it narrow-minded to believe? No. I didn't write the book. I love what T.D. Jake said. I saw him interview a few weeks ago. And they were asking him all these hard questions. He goes, look, I, don't, I didn't write the book. And I don't get editorial privileges. I'm just telling you what the book says. This is what it says. Now, you can do with it what you want to. But this is what it says. And I choose to believe that God is God. Jesus Christ came, born of a virgin, lived a sin in his life, down the cross of my sins, rose again to see the right hand of the Father. Because he did that, he gets to make the rules. So, hell, well, just so we're all talking about the same thing. Jesus, in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, describe hell with these ways. It's, it's a fiery furnace, a weeping and a gnashing of teeth. It's outer darkness. It's eternal punishment. It's an unquenchable fire. I didn't write it. I'm just telling you, those are exact quotes. NIV version, you put a little ist and thist and thouist on it, and it's King James. It, that's, that's what it says, Okay. And here are the statements that you hear about this whole thing about hell. Why would a loving God send anybody to hell? First of all, God does not send anyone to hell. We choose. Well, but you know, okay. You know, man, I didn't really choose hell. You're right. What you chose was you wanted a life devoid of God. That's like a fat person going to a buffet going, I want to eat all I can eat, and I don't want any consequences for it. And don't look at me that way. I would know this, okay? <laughs> it's, it's just the laws. Law of cause and effects, physics. I mean, it's just it's every action has an equal and opposite reaction. And so the reality is, is that if I want a life where I don't have God's intrusion into my life, and I basically flip God off and tell him to get out of my life, then God is a gentleman and goes, okay. I love you, and I care for you, and I have a plan for your life, and it's completely free. But here's the way it's got to be. It's like, I mean, I fly on airplanes all the time. It's like if an airplane goes down... And the flight attendant is saying, you need to exit this way, Mr. Cole. And I go, no, I want to go that way. But Mr. Cole, that's death. But I want to go that way. But Mr. Cole, you will die of, 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 of smoke inhalation. That's the way I want to go. And if I don't get to go that way, I'm going to sit in this seat. And then finally, that flight attendant is going to go, see ya, wouldn't want to be ya, because I'm not going to die for ya. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes we get obstinate and go, well, it has to be this way. No, no, no. I get to choose C.S. Lewis, I love what he says. He, he, when he talks about this whole thing and the whole theology of hell, which you could talk for weeks about this, and I won't. But the reality is, is that mankind gets to choose. But the inevitable consequence is that a life devoid from God is equal to hell. And although we don't like the consequence of hell, we don't want God in our business. So it's still our choice. Was hell created for man? No. Hell was never intended for man. It was intended for Satan. But because sin entered into the world, we have a choice. Because we're not rock'em, sock'em robots. God gives you and I a choice. 
So what about the person who's on the island and they never hear the name of Jesus and they die? They go to heaven or hell? Well, do they accept Jesus Christ? Because they don't accept Jesus and they die on the desert island they go to hell. You go, that is hardcore. It's not my words. Look in your Bible. Romans chapter 1. I'm going to show you something. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Paul is writing to the church in Rome. This is a great man, dissertation on law and grace. And in chapter 1, verse 16, he starts it this way. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. You have to remember, Gentiles, that was a whole new area of evangelism. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A, right, that righteous, a righteousness that is by faith first to last, just as it's written that the righteous will live by faith. So it's not anything that we do, it's by faith. Now look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of all people. Why? Because they suppress the truth in their own wickedness. Do you understand that people do that? They do not want to hear. It's kind of like a teenager who locks their door, tells you as a parent to get out. That's when you... Take the door off the hinges. And then they turn up their music so loud. Or a toddler puts their hands over their ears and screams, I can't hear you, I can't hear you. That's sometimes I do that. I can't hear you, I have teenagers. I can't hear you, I can't hear you. He says, they suppress the truth in their own wickedness. Verse 19, since what must be made or what may be known about God is plain to them. How is it plain to them? Because God has made it plain to them. How? Look at verse 20. From the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, his internal power, his divine nature, has been clearly seen and being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. I'm going to explain that in a second. But what happens? People don't want to go to hell, but they don't want God in their life. Look at verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him nor they gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images of, uh, made to look like a mortal being, birds and animals and reptiles. Do you see this? I mean, this is just, it's, it. in verse 24, and then God gave them over to sinful desires in their hearts, and he goes into what all that means. And because I don't want to explain all that, we'll just stop it right there. He says right there that we suppress the truth in our own wickedness. Because verse 19, verse 20, God reveals himself. Even through the creation of this world, God reveals himself and makes himself known. It's the reason why a missionary will go to an unreached people group in a remote area. And I, you talk to missionaries and they'll tell you this all the time. Uh, Joe Gordon was here. I think Joe Gordon talked about this too when he was in the uh, Tibet, Himalayas, wherever. And, and he was speaking about this is that they'll get there and they'll realize that the people have already seen a vision of who God is. They just didn't know what to call him. Annie Sullivan, who was the lady who's credited with giving Helen Keller the ability to speak, when she gets to a point that she's able to communicate to her, she explains and begins to symbol who God is. And Helen Keller says this, Oh, that's his name. He's been here many times. I just not, did not know what to call him. See, God loves the world, you and I, and has a greater heart than any of us could ever have. John 3.16, for God so, without strings, without condition, loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever would believe in him would not die, would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Verse 17. For God sent not his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to condemn the world, contrary to popular opinion, but that through him the world might be saved. 
As you read on in the book of Acts, which is a marvelous book, in Acts chapter 8, you see how Philip is translated, the Bible says. You know what translated is? That's kind of like, beam me up, Scotty. I mean, that's Star Trek stuff. He literally is standing in one place, and the next moment he's somewhere else. Transported is what we would call it. You go, that's crazy. I'm just telling you what the book says. Read it, Acts chapter 8. To the Ethiopian, whom was ready to receive the gospel and had questions, and he was there to answer the questions. And the man gets saved and baptized that day. Acts chapter 10. Peter is having his quiet time on the rooftop. And he has a vision from God. To go to the house of Cornelius. Which was a known Gentile. And began to share the faith. That this gospel wasn't just for the Jew. But was also for the Gentile. So if God has to do it through vision, if God has to translate, transport, beam me up, Scotty, uh, to somebody, if God has to show up, if God has to show up in someone's dark, muted world like Helen Keller, if he has to go to an unreached people group and reveal himself, he will. It's not that it's unfair. The reality is, is God's paying a debt that he didn't owe. He's picking up the tab For our lascivious lifestyles. And says without strings. Without condition. I love you. I love you. And I have a plan for your life. And I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care who you are. I love you. And all I want you to do is to accept my love. And the Bible says, and love took on the form of a man, and that man's name is Jesus. The last statement that you hear is that to say Jesus Christ is the only way, it's just unfair. It's just cruel. It's just cruel. I don't understand this. The fact that God doesn't make many ways and make it easy, it's just cruel. Verse 19 and verse 20, but Peter and John replied, When these guys tell him, do not speak in this name. Do what you want to do, just don't talk about the name of Jesus. Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. Look what he says in verse 20. Verse 19, you kind of figure it out. Verse 20, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Let me tell you what's cruel. What's cruel is to know that Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and life, and not tell anybody. It's not cruel that that's the way it is. It's cruel that we don't tell anybody. What's cruel is, is that we, as a church, make it hard for people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. What's cruel is, is that we want to fight among each other, not in our church. Not ever, it's never us, right? But we want to fight among each other in the church universal about this and that and things that don't even matter. I have people say, I can't believe you stand before God and, and then you're having a kid's fest with a tilt the world and a, and, a, and a Ferris wheel. God, help you all giving out candy on Halloween. And, and don't you think you're going to give an account for that? And, and, and you say you're reaching people for Christ, but I just think you're just leading people down a wide path. And I say to them, I think when I get to heaven, God's going to look at you and say, you mean a tilt a world and a Ferris wheel and some candy kept you from seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ? 
You mean a student center with a climbing wall and some TVs and an iMac bar kept you from seeing? Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good life, church. Kept me from Jesus Christ? You mean your suit and tie and your big bad self kept you from people? You mean to tell me that your church was too high and too uppity and toity and hoity and that you had to have this mega this and this mega that, that you didn't reach out to the least of these? See, that's what's cruel. What's cruel is that we've got, not that we're right, we're not right. We're dead wrong. But he is right. And he says, I don't judge you. It's your sin that condemns you. I just have an answer for it. See, it's cruel that we have the life-giving truth and we don't proclaim it. It's unfair for us to know and not to share. Because God's way is life. And so today I want to wrap this message up and just say maybe you're here today and, and you go okay and I give up not to me but to God and I want Jesus Christ to come into my heart and into my life I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that just a second and here's exactly what's going to happen I'm going to tell you what's going to happen then it's going to happen then we're going to be done with the happening what's going to happen in just a second is I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just out of respect for people that are in this room I'm going to ask if there's anybody here that would like to give their life to Jesus Christ. You are not a Christ follower, and you want to give your life to Jesus. I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand. You're going to put your hand up high enough for me to see it and just put it back down because I'm not here to embarrass you. And I'm not your judge anyhow. I just want to pray with you. And then I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Now, the Bible says if you just pray a prayer like it's some incantation or magical deal, it doesn't work. But if you believe in your heart the prayer that you're praying... It's not about the words, it's about your heart, that you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from your sins and saved unto God. That you will know that heaven is your home and hell is not your destination. And you will have the peace of God that passes all understanding that will flood your heart. And I'm not saying that all your questions in one second will be answered, but, I, but you're going to be introduced to one that can answer those questions. So I'm going to ask everybody right now, would you bow your head and close your eyes? Everyone in this room, just for respect to the people that are here. And if you're here today and you say, man, Aaron, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. I just want you to slip up your hand high enough, just up and back down. Thanks. 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 Somebody else. I'm not going to embarrass you. Thanks. Just up and back down. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray this prayer. I'm going to ask those of you that have prayed this prayer before to lend your voice with those that are praying this prayer for the very first time. And if you believe what you're about to pray, you will be saved. Not from a fear, but God will come into your life with this abundant life. Let's pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart, to come into my life, and be my Lord and my Savior today. Forgive me of my sins. I believe in you, Jesus, that you are the Son of God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for my sins, and rose again, just like the Bible says. Come into my life. Change me from the inside out. Give me peace and hope and life. I believe in you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen.